apps of corporate and investment banking lead the conversation on future investment possibilities and sustainable growth opportunities in agriculture. If you look at the fiscal impacts COVID has had, food security in Africa, and that's really our concern, is under pressure. There are lots of green shoots in terms of investment and interest, but for the moment we see that food insecurity in Africa is increasing, and that's a problem. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities to unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights, hosted by Bruce Whitfield. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Well, I was lucky enough to grow up in a farming community and you always knew just how well or badly things were going by the number of Mercedes Benzes that were parked outside a church on a Sunday. If they were parked outside a church on a Wednesday, it was either a funeral or things were really bad and people were praying for rain. The worse the conditions, the fuller the car park. That's the way it worked a long time ago. Ru Voldenboer is the sector head of secondary agriculture at APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. And I think nowadays Mercedes Benzes have been replaced by SUV. V's um, outside the churches. I, I don't know if that's because people are praying as hard or they've got the SUVs simply to navigate some of the rural roads in Africa, um, including South Africa, of course, to get to and from town. Because while agriculture might be booming, a lot of the infrastructure around agriculture isn't true. Yes. Thanks. Good afternoon. Good evening, Bruce. And um, uh, hello to the listeners. That is unfortunately the case. Um, if we look at the general state of road infrastructure in South Africa and some of our presence countries, there's a lot of room for improvement. Sadly, in some areas, things are deteriorating fast. And that, of course, is adding to cost and inefficiencies in the agricultural value chain. And what's the impact then? I mean, farmers uh, tend to be optimistic by nature. You have to be if in August you plow and in September you plant and then you wait for the rain to come and then you hope the pests stay away uh, and then you hope the frost comes and then you can harvest. I mean there's a huge amount of faith that happens in there. A couple of potholes and infrastructure collapse isn't going to scare them is it? It normally doesn't, but what we see in some areas, of course, is that the road structures are adding costs and leading to delays. And if you look at the fact that in South Africa, at least, and I'm sure for the rest of Africa where we do business, most of agricultural produce and inputs are transported via the road networks. Costs and delays and wear and tear are becoming real factors to contend with. And it also impacts your competitiveness, of course, because in agriculture, we live in an international market or we operate in a, in a world market where our competitors are not your neighbor necessarily, but it could also be the farmer in Argentina or Australia or the Philippines. So that's a very real issue. We would like to emphasize the fact that infrastructure development and investment needs to take place across the continent and it needs to be targeted from our perspective, of course, to benefit agriculture as as far as possible. It's not just about getting the the maize from the farmer's lands to the co-op or to the private silos, from there to the mill, into the bag, onto the shelves and into bread or into mealy meal, for example. It's about getting... 
moving your commodities onto global markets because that's where the prices are made and that's where the opportunity sits. We're a great exporter, often, of many of our uh, food products. And if we can't get those to the ports and then out of the ports efficiently, well, then we are losing a global battle. Absolutely. And South Africa, if I look at some of our agricultural sectors like citrus, for instance. Now, we're a world leader in citrus exports. We're the second largest exporter of citrus produce. And port and road infrastructure is absolutely essential for us to be able to compete with producers like Spain and Argentina and America. Now, last year with COVID, we were fortunate that the agricultural sector was designated a a strategic sector. And we saw some delays in, in the ports. But that was fortunately through good cooperation between the agricultural unions and agricultural players and government. But if you look at what's happening in our citrus establishment in terms of hectares, there's going to be a lot of pressure on our port infrastructure in future to handle those exports. That's where government and private sector need to take hands. It's already not coping. I mean, at the time that we're recording this, there's a ship about to leave Durban Harbour. It's called a reefer. It's an enormous ship that can take three times more than the old-fashioned container ships could do. It could do the job better. There's a lot of technology on board. The product is stacked on pallets and therefore it's massively better than within previous ships. But one of the reasons why the citrus skies have brought this ship to, to port is precisely because the ports actually can't cope, that the warehouses are full, that the product moves through too slowly. And by using this different style of ship, they're able to get their product from shore to sea much more quickly. I saw that this morning as well. I mean, it's a phenomenal development. And what we need to understand is that South African fresh produce is held in very high regard across the world. I spoke to a citrus producer at the height of COVID and I asked him about the impact of transportation backlogs and he told me that some of his markets, and this was specifically the USA, told them that they'd send special ships to South Africa just to collect our citrus. But that's just an example of how well thought after our produce is internationally. But yes, Bruce, our position as a bank is that we are quite willing and we've got a lot of risk appetite and capacity to fund into agricultural developments and capex and working capital. But we absolutely need governments across the continent and in South Africa especially to come to the party and do what they need to do in terms of the social goods the private sector can't supply. And because it's not only about the efficiency for the agricultural sector, but it adds layers of cost. If it adds layers of cost, it contributes then to food price inflation. And in many, I mean, this, the self-interest should be enough in order for governments yes. to actually fix their infrastructure yeah. because they're driving up the cost of basic food prices mm. and commodities to their own populations across yeah. this continent. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and I think that the scenario we're in, and we're not post-COVID yet, we're still dealing with it, has, as far as agricultural producers and financiers and investors that's involved in agriculture, COVID has re-emphasized, I think, the importance of agriculture and agricultural value chains to populations. All right, And we sit now, a year after COVID effectively has, has hit us, the world, with world food price inflation of around about 30% on a basket basis. And what you'll see is that sub-Saharan Africa and countries that are dependent on imports of basic foodstuffs are going to struggle. And they would struggle in any event because this is a drain on foreign exchange but if you look at the fiscal impacts COVID has had food security in Africa and that's really our concern is under pressure. There are lots of green shoots in terms of 
investment and interest. But for the moment, we see that food insecurity in Africa is increasing. And that's a problem. But it's, it seems insane that sub-Saharan Africa is a net importer of food. Yeah, it, it is a bit of a dichotomy, isn't it? And um, it's ironic because if we look at some countries... They are really very good production potential. And that's been recognized for decades, really. But African governments has generally been slow to get on board and get ahead of the curve. And let's be honest, fiscal constraints are part of that dynamic. You know, we are not the USA where you get public or state-sponsored insurance schemes. So it's all been driven by private sector. And in some instances, governments are waking up. And we're seeing some of those positive spin-offs, Bruce, fortunately. But yes, at the moment, they are still too few and far between. But I think the realization is there that governments across Africa need to crowd in the private sector and we need to work together to get uh, production and exports going. There are some examples of that. I mean, there are examples where it's working really, really effectively. There are large farming enterprises in South Africa um, where there's a huge amount of collaboration on land reform and uh, training young farmers and bringing new farmers into the net and, and really making a positive contribution, whether you look at ZZ2 and multiple other large farming in, uh, enterprises. The other one is, if you look at Kenya and the cashew nut industry, delicious nuts, beautiful part yeah. of the world to grow them, and they're very good at doing that. But the government is actually saying, hold on a second, we can't do this ourselves. We can't fund this thing ourselves. There are other priorities for public money. So why don't we get private investors in to come and help us do this and, and do it properly and actually bring not only their capital, but their expertise? Exactly. And that's where regulation is so important and certainty of regulation to facilitate the environment where the private sector can invest and grow. Because the private sector will. You know, farmers... They will do that, but good investment generally follows good policy. And in Kenya, I mean, that's been positive. And then there's also been some own goals in, in Kenya, for instance, with sugar in the, in the past. But if I go to Tanzania, for instance, and I visited some projects last year, I can see that government is really trying to, at least on some projects, do their bit in establishing infrastructure that has enormous spin-offs in terms of employment and uh, GDP growth. I mean, and I'm talking about projects like building bridges and building roads. We've seen now, for instance, this month, the Gazangulu Bridge between Zambia and Botswana has been opened. So that's going to have a massive spin-off as well, as well, you know, renewable energy projects, because if you look at the basic requirements for agriculture to be productive and efficient and competitive on an international scale, you have to start with road and electricity and where you can rail. And that in South Africa is unfortunately a bit of a sad story because most of our agricultural produce now gets uh, transported by road, which fundamentally should be more expensive than an efficient rail system. No, and, and that's deeply frustrating. I mean, the rail system did serve agriculture very well up until about 25, 30 years ago. That's right. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that network has been allowed to be neglected. There you know, disused railway sidings and dilapid infrastructure dotted across the country. Still to come in this EPSA Insights podcast. Now you've got the, the really complex issues of land, land mm. reform, land restitution. And without too much clarity on that, one struggles to see how you get rapid advancement and rapid progress within the mm. agricultural sector. APSA Insights. 
Tanzania imports about 50% of its sugar, but the government there has got a sweet tooth, it would seem, mm. um, and is looking to actually develop that industry. And I mean, with EU subsidies and all sorts of other things, that strikes me as being quite a smart strategy. Yes, it is. And, and, and I think it's enormously positive. Like I said, I've visited projects where I've seen where the Tanzanian government has uh, released land, thousands of hectares, for the private sector to invest into sugar plantations and sugar mills and processing centers. And, and the overall Tanzanian strategy with sugar is to replace a lot of the imports they're currently dependent on. Now, imports, as we know, I mean, it drains your foreign exchange reserves. So that's enormously positive because you save on foreign currency and you create a source of employment. Now, in the international scene, if we talk about sugar, I mean, there are very few countries that can compete with the cost of production of Brazil, for instance. But if you've identified sugar as a strategic sector, governments need to support their local producers. And there are trade-offs, of course. Right? Many countries can import sugar cheaper than they, uh, they can produce it. But it is about localization and you know, local enterprise and local industrial development. So I can't fault Tanzania, for instance, on what they've been doing. I've seen some of the good things that's happening there, not only in sugar, but in um, avocado development as well. There's some very good examples. Mozambique, for instance, I mean, at least half of the bananas we trade in the Pretoria fresh produce market are grown in Mozambique. And 20 years ago, I mean, the exports of bananas out of Mozambique to South Africa, I don't think it exceeded 20 tons. And nowadays, it's more than 100,000 tons. So that's enormously positive. And the Mozambican government saw that as a strategic sector, as they did avos and nuts and leeches as well. And we can see that there's a lot of promotion of those sectors in some of these countries. It's the way it should work. I mean, Rwanda, Malawi, Uganda, also the public-private sector investment. And that is, I think, beginning to have a really noticeable impact on large parts of their agricultural sectors, oh, isn't it? Yes, it, it has. And I must say, Bruce, as bankers, We're active in a couple of African countries as APSA, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Mozambique, Ghana. There is an enormous amount of investor interest and funding interest from development finance institutions as well into agriculture as a sector. But of course, these guys can't do it in a vacuum. You need good regulation. You need um, stable infrastructure, stable certification rules for exports. And, And I think the frustration is that Africa has been lagging on that. And I think that the penny has dropped much more so since COVID now. So we're very positive about agricultural developments and investments and funding in Africa in general. I mean, even Lesotho, which is a tough, tough place to get anything to grow. Um, Lesotho is looking at the the cannabis industry very, very effectively. They're getting some huge interest. And of course, large tracts of South Africa have been informally um, planting cannabis, uh, marijuana, quarter what you like, for generations anyway. And um, there's... (laughs) There's some some very popular varietals and and variants um, in in South Africa. There is a huge opportunity there, and there was a enormous amount of noise around yeah. the sector two or three years ago when personal use was legalized and people started being more more thoughtful about the way in which they used the product. Again, a huge opportunity. Yes, you may say we've got uh, broad expertise in uh, growing cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing without any investment at all, actually it's an industry that has boomed yes. informally. And, and we've seen a lot of interest from uh, foreign investors as well into production capacity uh, 
facilities in South Africa. Look, it's early days yet, but the potential is recognized, and I think we'll see a lot more happening in that score in the years to come. Again, it all comes down to confidence. The ability, and, and, and it's, it's stressful enough for any person in agriculture to commit millions of rand or millions of dollars into the earth every, each and every single year in the expectation that it's probably going to rain. There's probably not going to be a plague of locusts. There's probably not going to be a massive hailstorm, and I can ensure against as much of that as I can. Um, and they do that anyway. But now you've got the, the really complex issues of land, land mm. reform, land restitution. And without too much clarity on that, one struggles to see how you get rapid advancement and rapid progress within the mm. agricultural sector. Yes. And, and let's distinguish between the South African scenario, which is quite unique, I think, if you look at the African context. We fund farming developments and agriculture in lands where you don't really have private tenure like in South Africa. In Tanzania, for instance, we used to 50-year, 99-year leases. Same with, with Mozambique. So the big issue, I think, as a bank is, yes, we need certainty of access to one of those production factors in agriculture, which which is the land. In South Africa, we've seen that the larger commercial businesses have continued to invest, regardless of the noise around land reform, because logically, we'd just be scoring a massive own goal like Zimbabwe did 20, 25 years ago, if, if we go down the same route. So clients are investing in the trust and belief that sanity will prevail and if we look at this from a from a very pragmatic realistic perspective there is a lot of land in South Africa which we can still develop and make available for emerging farmers. It is not necessary to impede or damage the commercial farming sector. And you've mentioned some of the names, Bruce. What's what's heartening to me is to see how some of these mega commercial concerns are doing their bit without real government assistance to develop and establish projects that are going to benefit communities uh, for years to come. Yeah, it's it's absolutely enormous. And it's almost earning the right, I think, to operate um, in a place like South. Africa, particularly at large scale with the huge disparities that we have and we face each and every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so policy is absolutely critical and, and, and maybe just ratcheting up the speed of policy certainty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we involved in certain clients, well, we're involved in a lot of clients across the sector. But if I look at some of the biggest and most successful, let's call it transformational or developmental projects. They are driven by the private sector uh, with very little government support. There's a project where 600 hectares of citrus are now being established over the next three years. And it's all being done on a commercially viable private sector basis where the owners are actually the communities at large. Now, those models need to be promoted by government. And as far as land reform is concerned, I think there's a lot of goodwill between the private sector or commercial sector, and they'll engage in a lot of investment and um, and assistance as long as they can get policy certainty. And I think that's what the, the sector is asking for. I mean, I, I, one feels as if agriculture is Africa's opportunity to lose and, and to, to fail to invest, to fail to really capture the opportunity of a booming global population, of potentially uh, scarcity into the future of, of, of basic food stuffs and here we sit on one of the greatest resources the planet has to offer and that is remarkably good 
tracts of arable land and at enormous scale. No, it's absolutely correct, Bruce. And I think, like I've said, the penny is dropping. And the challenge is really to the African economies and the African governments to allow that investment and development to benefit their local populations. Because if we don't do that, we'll find that agricultural assets will be internationalized. And you almost see a continuation of this basic commodity export scenario, what did they call it, the Dutch disease, earlier with oil exports and rubber exports, where the local populations and and civilians don't get the benefit of the developments that's taking place. So from a broad macro social perspective, it's absolutely essential that we do that. Otherwise, you can't stem the force of investment. You'll find that those assets are bought by um, by other countries and uh, offshore investors um, with a different agenda than you may have. Do you see that as a serious risk? What, do, what does it mean if, if that scenario plays out? What does that mean then for the agricultural sector 30, 40 years from now? Difficult to say, Bruce. It's a fun fundamental concern I have. But if you look at some of the big economies in the world, a big issue and concern is how to secure food. And and Africa is seen as an opportunity to secure their own strategic agendas and not necessarily to the benefit of the people in Africa. So it's maybe a contentious point, but I think 20, 30 years down the line, we need to be sure that the African agricultural assets are owned by Africans, really. That is, I think, a good point to leave it. Thank you, Rue Wildenboer. He's the sector head for secondary agriculture at APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Expert advice and data-driven insights that unlock your business's potential. APSA Insights. Matching foresight with sustainable possibilities. Brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. For more, visit apsainsights.co.za.